All right, before we begin this morning, uh, I want to introduce myself again. My name is Joel. Uh, I am a pastor here, but not the pastor at the River Church. In fact, our pastor is from is in Georgia. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and so he may, actually the pastor here at the church is my brother-in-law, if you didn't realize that, so we're related. That's awkward. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, we're related, and in fact, he was texting me this week. He said, hey, man, I'm at your house. I'm watching... Uh, home videos of you when you were five. I was like, oh, no. I was like, this is not good. And he said, uh, he said, yeah. In fact, when you were uh, five years old, someone asked you, what are you gonna, what are you gonna be when you grow up? And I'm just cringing. I'm like, oh gosh, there's no telling what I said. He said, you said you wanted to be an artist and a farmer. <laughs> and he, and then he followed up with a text that said, you have failed your five-year-old self. <laughs> And I said, and what I'm about to say to you is, is what we call a Jesus juke. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm planting seeds every day. And he was like, ah, very funny, Jesus juke. And then I said, church planting? Like, come on. He said, you got me there. You got me there. So anyway, they're doing good. He's at a wedding in South Georgia. Uh, some dear friends of theirs are getting married. So he asked me to continue in the Philippians Advance the Gospel series. And so anyway, we're, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. And uh, it's been a great, uh, a great uh, series, hasn't it? I mean, have you guys enjoyed the series? I think so. I think it's been incredible. Uh, I'm excited for a couple of reasons this morning. I got really amped up. One, uh, this is the first time I've been able to speak and be on the podcast. Yes. So I just want to give a shout out to the future. If you're listening to the podcast uh, this morning, and it's probably Tuesday, Wednesday, you might be having a rough week. Be encouraged by this podcast. Uh, let the rest of your week be incredible, all right? That's a shout-out to those of you who, who are listening. Uh, also, we have a dear friend here in the service this morning. Her name's Sandra. She brought us cactus jelly. Can I get a round of applause for the cactus jelly? Listen, I'm from Georgia, and when I show up to Texas and people are handing out cactus jelly in the lobby of our church, I'm feeling Texan. I'm getting excited about that. So be sure to get you some of that cactus jelly. I haven't tasted it yet, but I'm sure it's incredible. And I might, you know, if, if y'all don't get it, I might be taking two or three home. I hope that's okay. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want you to open them up. We're going to be in Philippians, all right? Uh, Philippians 1, and we're going to go from verse 12 through 18. 12 through 18. And I, I'm going to go ahead and read. Um, but I, I want to say this first. Uh, I grew up in churches that were loud, okay? So if at any point uh, you, I say something that resonates with your soul, don't be afraid to say amen. Amen, brother. Preach it. All right, don't be afraid to do that, okay? That just lets me know I'm doing an okay job, and uh, it just fills the space in here, okay? All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read. Are you guys ready? You guys ready? Okay. Thank you. All right, here we go, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, I'm reading NIV actually, this may be different. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing 
that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. Because of this, I rejoice. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the life of Paul as an example to us. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the people that are here. God, we want to hear your voice. God, I pray you hide me behind the cross. God, let the people in here not necessarily see me, but hear your words, God. Let your words cut deep in us this morning. And so, God, we just love you. We thank you. We ask this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Awesome. All right, so I just read a passage of Scripture uh, out of Philippians, all right? Uh, and we know from previous uh, sermons from Mike in this series that this is a book written by Paul, all right? Paul is uh, an incredible guy. He's an apostle, somebody who uh, done a lot of incredible things. He himself was actually a, uh, a Christian killer. Right? He killed Christians, persecuted Christians early in the church. Uh, and then he had a radical conversion that later led him on a path uh, where he would be one of the most incredible, incredible Christian leaders uh, that we've ever seen in history. All right? In fact, uh, he, was, he was thrown into prison. He was beaten multiple times, all because of his love for Jesus. And so we see, we see Paul here, and he's writing uh, a letter out of prison. Now, I've never been to prison. But I've met people who have been to prison, and it's not fun. It's not enjoyable, all right? And I can't imagine, that's people who've been in prison now. I can't imagine what it looked like to be in prison back then. We're talking like, we actually, scholars don't actually know where Paul is in prison uh, here in this passage. We don't know if it's in Rome. We don't know if it's somewhere in the Middle East. We're not sure. Uh, but it's safe to say that it's not a happy place. It's not a comfortable uh, it's, he, he probably, there's no television, there's probably no warm meals, uh, you know, and, and that's probably a lot of things that we get in prison now, uh, he doesn't have all that. So he's in, he's in a pretty low spot, and he's writing a letter, like Mike said earlier in some of the sermons, to a church plant. He's writing a letter to the Philippians, all right, in Philippi. This is a special group of people who Paul loves, and he's kind of keeping tabs on them and watching them, all right? Mike messing up really bad. Wow. All right. Let me grab a different microphone. Everybody sit tight and just shake hands with your neighbor. I don't see anybody shaking hands. All right. Is this better? Okay. Amen. So if you're listening on the podcast, I want to apologize for the first half of the sermon. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dismiss. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. This is better. All right. So, uh, I'm not going to rehash everything. Paul was a crazy, awesome guy, and he's in prison. Yes. All right, so, so Paul's in prison. He's preaching, or he wrote this letter, all right, uh, to the Philippian church. And, uh, and so anyway, we're, we're just kicking off there. But I, I want to kind of walk through these passages with you this morning to kind of explain to you some of the reason behind what he's doing, why he's saying what he's saying. Um, because there's something that here as a church plant, the river, we can take away that's going to be very encouraging for us. And some of us have been in a very rough place in life, and some of us have been struggling in life. And Paul, Paul says some things here that's really going to minister to us this morning. So I really want you to take away from that this morning. So the first thing I want you to take away from is this. Uh, in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. All right? The first thing, this is where, right where my mind went. All right? It says this, What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Something has happened. 
okay? Something has happened. Something bad has happened. Paul has been thrown in prison. All right, listen. Raise your hand if you've ever had something bad happen to you before. Yeah, I think we all have had something terrible happen to us. I know that's not something that you want to necessarily reflect on on Sunday morning, but I just, you know, the first thing is admitting, yes, I've gone through something difficult. All right, we've all struggled. We'd all, we've all experienced pain and hurt in this life. I'm looking at my two-month-old son and my heart breaks because I know that he's going to experience bad things at some point in his life, no matter how much I shelter him from the world. He's going to experience hurt. All right, and we've all been there. We've all, we've all uh, had bad things happen to us, and Paul is having something very bad happen to him right now. Uh, I want to I describe something that I've kind of, what I call the three phases of suffering. So if you're taking notes down, you wanna, might want to write these three things down. There's kind of three phases of suffering. When we go through something that's really negative, something bad, the first one is this. We realize something bad is happening, and we're suffering. All right, it's the first thing we realize it's okay, this is bad. This is not good. I'm not enjoying this. Uh, I would like my situation to change. All right, and typically in this scenario, we ask questions like this, and sometimes they're kind of ridiculous God, why are you doing this to me? Why has this happened to me? Right? We, we start trying to, like, okay, something bad's happened to me. It's somebody's fault. We start pointing fingers, right? God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? And so that's kind of the first phase of suffering, the realization, oh no, I'm suffering. The second phase is this. God gives us spiritual eyes to see that this will be used to grow me. Now, if, if, if this happens to you, this is a blessing, okay? When we turn to God in our suffering, he does something unique. He shows you that the suffering that you're going through is actually going to be used to refine you. Have you ever heard of the refiner's fire? I don't know much about refineries, but I know that they put these minerals and these these gemstones through fire, burning away all the kind of iniquities, the, the bad things, right? It burns away revealing the gem or the diamond or the stone, right? And the truth is, if you allow God to do this in your life, he's going to reveal to you that that suffering, when you go through that fire, is actually going to be used to, to shape you. And if we're honest and we admit, you know, yeah, looking back on my life, some of the hardest things that I've experienced in my life have changed me for the better. So that's kind of the second phase of, of it, is that these, uh, God gives us spiritual eyes to see that this will be used to grow me. In fact, this phase, if you turn to God, he gives you those spiritual eyes to see. It actually helps us mentally, emotionally, when we realize God is using this to help us, right? Like when we finally understand, okay, God, I'm suffering, but you're going to use this. It actually helps you, right? You, you feel a little better about suffering. You feel like you can make it. Because God's saying, hey, I'm going to use this to, to shape you. He may not be causing this in your life, but he's going to use it to shape you. And it helps you. You know, uh, We go through this, and then we realize next time we face it, and we know we will make it, make it through. I like this part because uh, it reminds me, this is kind of crazy. Back before I was married and uh, had a child, I was kind of a thrill seeker. Anybody? Like junkie, like I want to go do crazy stuff like jump out of planes and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, has anybody ever been paintballing before? You guys been paintballing? Oh, man. So I, I, I had never been paintballing before, and I asked for a paintball gun for Christmas one year. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I don't know anything about it, but, man, I'm going to have a paintball gun, and it's going to be a blast. And so I got a paintball gun for Christmas, opened it up, and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. But I was deathly afraid of getting shot, okay? 
I wanted to use it to shoot everybody else. I didn't want to get shot by the paintball gun, okay? But I knew, you know, it was going to happen. And in fact, I was afraid that maybe that paintball would like pass through my heart and kill me. I was like afraid I was going to die. So I handed the gun to my dad. And this is kind of twisted in a way. I said, Dad, I want you to shoot me with this paintball gun. <laughs> uh, I don't know if my son came to me and was like, hey, shoot me with this paintball gun. I don't know if I could do it. But my dad was like, all right. you know. So, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, he takes the paintball gun. And I go like out in the yard. And I just stand on my back. Because I didn't want to watch it happen. I was just like, shoot me in the back. Shoot me in the back. And sure enough, I hear the thing. Tah! You hear that paintball whizzing at you? Bam! I was like. And I remember turning around, and and, uh, there was like a glaze that came over my eyes. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I knew that I could make it through the next time. And in fact, the couple times I've gone paintballing, I always like, once I get hit once, I know that I'm going to make it through the second time I get hit. And it's true. When you go through storms or phases and suffering in life, when you get on the other side of it, God lets you know, hey, look what you just went through. And when it happens, you can get through it again, you know? I used to be also afraid of storms. I remember going through my first storm, you know, tornadoes, all that kind of stuff. Next time it came, I'm out in the yard like, yeah, because I knew I was going to survive. That's what happens when we suffer. And that's kind of the second phase of suffering is that he shows us, he gives us spiritual eyes to see, this is going to shape me. This is going to grow me. And you may be suffering this morning. You may be going through something that maybe no one knows about or everybody knows about. And, and I want to encourage you, allow God to open your eyes this morning to see that you're suffering this morning. What you're going through is going to shape you. You may not know how. You may not see it yet because in that, when you're suffering, it's kind of like a fog. You're like, I'm just trying to survive. But trust me, God's going to use it to shape you. And then we move on to the third phase of suffering. All right, this is the third phase. It's this, God will use this bad thing for good by allowing me to use it to advance the gospel. God will use this bad thing for good by allowing me to use it to advance the gospel. I'm going to be honest, not many people get to this phase. A lot of people, a lot of people get to the phase where they're like, man, I'm suffering. And we, and we struggle, and we internalize it, and we blame God. A lot of people get to that phase. And then fewer people get to the phase where they realize God's going to use it to help them. And that's typically where a lot of times we, we fall into place. But very few of us, I feel like, get to the place and the phase where we can say, God's going to use this to change me, but he also wants to use this so that I can help somebody else. Right? Amen? I mean, we, we have a hard time getting to that place because we're selfish people. I, I'm selfish. We're selfish human beings. And a lot of times we think the suffering that we're going through is all about us. The end game is all about shaping me. And Paul in this passage is doing something very interesting. He's teaching the people in Philippi that his suffering, yeah, he's suffering. He realizes it. He says something's happened. So he's not like trying to put a smile on his face and smile through it. He's saying, look, I'm in a tough spot. He's realizing he's suffering. The second part is God's giving him spiritual eyes to see. It's going to shape who he is as a leader. And then third, he's, he's realizing that uh, God's using this as an opportunity for me to help other people. It's, uh, I wrote this down. When you suffer, it provides a unique opportunity. Paul challenges us to use our suffering as an opportunity to advance the gospel. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do the people around you see your response in your suffering? Do they see your response? Because a lot of times we suffer. We don't 
And when we respond to God, are people watching you? People are watching Paul's response. He's in prison, but he's holding on to that joy. No, he's not. I mean, there have been times where he's been put in a prison, and they're singing, and they're worshiping. This isn't necessarily that time, but I would imagine, and, and again, scholars, we don't know exactly what he's doing to communicate the gospel to the people in the prison, but we do know that the gospel is being preached. So knowing Paul, I'm sure he's talking. I'm sure he's sharing his story about how he's suffering. Are people around you seeing your response to God in your situation? Because they're either going to see you like, woe is me, I'm struggling, I'm suffering. Or they're going to see you saying, God, I need your help. God, I trust that you're going to change me in this situation. God, use, use me to help someone. Are they seeing your response? Second question, are you allowing your situation and suffering to be a testimony? Ooh, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Oh, my gosh. Listen, it's easy. I can stand up here and we can talk about this all day. But actually, like, making it happen is a whole other story. It's a fight. But I want to share something with you. You know, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a lady in our church who has been battling cancer. All right? And God is blessing her family. And I was sitting, I was backstairs over there, I was talking to her, and she said something that, like, I could have ran sprints around this room. Like, I about lost my mind, okay? She said something incredible. She said, I know, you know, I know God didn't do this to me, but I know that God's using it to change me. I have grown so much through this experience. I just want to drop the mic. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. On the surface, that's like, oh, that's sweet. No, 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 no. No, that's strength. That's supernatural strength. You understand that? For someone to go through something like that, you understand people suffer with cancer and diseases like that every single day, and I bet you hardly any of them get to that point where they can say, listen, I've had cancer, I've struggled with it, and God's using it to change me. Oh, my gosh. You don't hear that. (laughs) Can I get an amen, somebody? Like, you don't hear that. People don't say that. That's a supernatural experience with God where God can empower someone who's gone through cancer to say, God's using that to shape me. Oh, I'm getting chills, man. Lord, have mercy. But that's not all she said. She said, and since I've gone through this experience, I see the need and I actually want to help more people who have gone through it. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, this is crazy. Okay, you understand? This is incredible. How many people, do we ever get to that point? And for someone like her who struggled for so long and gone through so much and her family's had to walk through this together and it's been difficult for someone to have that strength to be able to say that, that that's supernatural. That's God pouring himself into the life of that person and that supernatural strength only comes from him and that's incredible. Whew, sorry, I got, whew, that's awesome. The other thing I was thinking about too is, uh, and this is less powerful, this is my personal story of mine, but uh, <laughs> uh, back in 2007, you guys have heard me talk about this, I was paralyzed. Yeah, I was paralyzed, like full body. I was in a diving accident, broke my neck, and was completely paralyzed, couldn't walk. So I had to learn how to walk again. And it took a long process, and it was difficult. But I remember when I was in the hospital and I couldn't move my legs, I I regained movement of my arms. Uh, I had steroids. I mean, I had so many wires on me, they zip-tied them. I had like all these sensors coming off my chest, zip-tied. I'm talking like I was strapped down. Like this was, oh, this is no good. 
And I remember waking up in the middle of the night screaming, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I just felt like I was dying. Like I was just in so much pain. It was miserable. And I had a Nigerian nurse look at me, and she leaned over to me, and I'm not going to try her accent. It was beautiful. But she just said, look, you're not going to die. You've got too much to come back and tell me. And in that moment, I don't know what possessed her to say that to me. But I knew in that moment that my situation was bigger than me. Now, it still was miserable. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't all of a sudden like, ding, a super Christian like, I will walk again. This will be great. No, no, no. I was still absolutely suffering. I couldn't walk. I mean, come on. Uh, but I knew that my situation, it becomes a wake-up call. And I think God sent her to wake me up and help me realize, like, this, is gonna, this isn't about you right now. And I knew in that moment I kind of hit that second phase where I was like, okay, I'm suffering, I'm going to die. I hit the second phase where I realized, okay, this is going to be something that's going to impact the rest of my life. And God walked me through this whole scenario. I had to learn how to walk again and everything. And then something happened. I got invited. It was actually at a church camp. So I was at a church camp, and I got injured. How embarrassing. As a counselor, bad. It was a bad example for all the kids. It was terrible. I got life lighted out of the camp, summer camp. That's, <laughs> that's so bad. And so anyway, actually, I got invited back to summer camp the next year to speak about it. Because by the time next year, I was back on my feet. And I realized God wanted to use my mistake, (laughs) I was the one that jumped in the pool and paralyzed myself, to be uh, an example of God's healing and how God can take someone's situation and change it. You know, and I kind of look back on, I see those phases, I see where I was suffering, I see how it changed me, but I also see how I was able to use it. And uh, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I've made it through all three phases. I don't typically make it all through all three phases. Sometimes I get stuck and I'm suffering. Sometimes I get stuck in, hey, this is just about me. Uh, so I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm saying there are going to be times in your life where God's going to call you to use your suffering as an opportunity to help somebody else. So those are kind of the, the three phases. Uh, and uh, I wrote here, to be an agent of change to be a person who advances the gospel because that's the end game. We want people to understand the love of Jesus. We want people to know that he can change their life. And so to be an agent of change, to be a person who advances the gospel, you have to be selfless. You got to be selfless. Man, when I got married, oh Lord, God showed me I was selfish. I was real selfish. Hey honey, will you go get the garbage? I just sat down. Oh, so bad, so bad. No, no, that you've never said that, I'm sure. Uh, and then my kid comes in, you know, like, you need to change his diaper. I'm exhausted from work, you know. You just realize through these phases in life how selfish you are, okay? Y'all are looking at me like y'all never experienced that before. <laughs> okay. All right, man, I started feeling real bad about myself. Uh, but yeah, selflessness is uh, a major, selflessness is a major principle in the Bible, if not the principle. Um, if you think about it, Jesus suffered so that we can have life. All right? Jesus suffered. So next time you're suffering, realize you're not alone in your suffering. The God of the universe suffered. In fact, he suffered for you. So we can allow our suffering to be a life-giving experience for someone else. If he can suffer for us, you know, you, I'm not saying suffering's good, but I'm saying when you're suffering, it can be about somebody else. You can do that. You can get to that point. It's not easy, but you can get to that point. <clears throat> And I, I've been extremely encouraged uh, to be completely transparent with you. You know, uh, my wife, is uh, she teaches in Kids Creek, and we just had a baby, two months old, all right? And he's two months old. Man, it has been tough. 
I'm just being honest. It's tough. I love my son to death. I mean, he's like, he and my wife are the most important people in my life. But I, I thought I was ready. And then I got into it, man, and that lack of sleep's getting me. I mean, he's crying a whole lot, you know. Like, I was in the lobby today, and everybody was like, oh, he's so adorable. He's sweet. And I'm like, you didn't see him at midnight last night. You didn't see him at 2.30 this morning. <laughs> you know, he was a raging animal, you know. And, and so anyway, like, he's adorable, and I love him. But, man, it's been tough. And that's part of the reason I'm so excited about, like, Nurture, Ashley and Katie's ministry and their heart for moms because I've watched my wife walk through this process, and it's been difficult for her. It's been difficult for us. And here's what I love about our church. I can't tell you how many times I've had people in this church walk up to me and say, look, hey, bro, it's going to get better. You're going to make it. And some of them are saying that because they've been through it. They've suffered some of them have said it, and they're suffering now. You know how many babies we had in this church this last year? We called it the baby apocalypse. okay? So I've had moms walk up to me and Katie and be like, you're going to make it. And I know they got three at the house. They got two at the house. You know, I'm like, come on. You know, and, and that's, that's an example of God using these mothers and these fathers in our church to help us get through it when they're going through suffering themselves. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to scare you to not have kids, all right? When I, suffering's a strong word, although it's pretty accurate, <laughs> all right? So I don't want to scare you, but I'm just going to let you know. It, it gets tough. It gets tough. But that's the beauty about having a church who can c- come around you. That's the beauty of having nurture, you know? You can get all the moms together, and you guys can have a good time, and y'all can just talk and let them love on you because I'm thinking we need to have a nurture for men because, boy, I, <laughs> whew, okay. All right, we're going to move on. Anyway, I have, a, uh, I have a friend who lives in North Carolina, and I hope that he hears this podcast. His name's Fawaz Fanek, and he's in North Carolina. He's from Jordan, the country of Jordan. He owns a laundromat, and he uses his laundromat as an opportunity to, ministry, uh, to minister. He also uh, teaches Bible studies for uh, men in, in a rehab center. He's an incredible, incredible guy. I wish if we lived closer, I'd have him come and share because he's an incredible guy. And he said something very powerful to me over the phone one day. It was around the time that we had the Dallas shootings. And uh, I was talking to him about what was going on. And um, he said something really powerful. He said, the enemy doesn't know when to stop. The enemy doesn't know when to stop. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And he said, pay attention to the non-Christians on Facebook their response to the shootings. What do you see them say? Pray for Dallas. He says the enemy is pushing people into the arms of God. He's pushing people to pray. He's pushing people uh, to turn to Jesus in the times of trouble. He said the enemy doesn't know when to stop. And man, I was like wrecked on the phone. I was like, bro, yes, yes. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, just that statement. He, go on to, he went on to say this. He said, the enemy doesn't know when to stop. He's blind. He's blind. He said he thought he was going to end uh, salvation and redemption by pushing, by killing Jesus. He kept pushing for Jesus to die, not realizing that the suffering that Jesus would go through would be the avenue in which redemption would come to the world. The enemy didn't know because he was blind, and he kept pushing Jesus, kept pushing Jesus to be killed, and that was a part of the plan. And Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third and punked Satan. 
And he showed up, man, and the enemy doesn't know when to stop. So he's maybe pushing, maybe things in your life he's causing you to suffer, but he doesn't realize that God's going to take that situation and use it to be a catalyst for change in your life and in someone else's life. Enemy doesn't know when to stop. Fawaz killed it with that message. I got it. I got it. And it was just incredible, you know. Isn't it funny? The world builds walls and takes, very, uh, takes every precaution necessary to protect themselves from suffering, and it's impossible. And the times we grow the most is when we suffer. Again, I'm not saying suffering's good, but isn't that kind of different? Isn't that kind of different than the world? The world doesn't think we ought to suffer. We try to protect ourselves. It reminds me of the verse in 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It may seem foolish to the world that when we suffer, we can have joy knowing that we're going to be shaped and changed and that we're going to help someone else. It may seem foolish, but he says here, he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Wow. So I'm going to keep moving on here. Uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a clock. I do have it on my phone, but I'm afraid I'm, uh, I'm talking too much. All right, here we go. Uh, there's something that I, I, I want to make sure that we're clear on. A couple of things that we, I don't want us to get confused. Paul isn't saying this. Uh, what Paul isn't saying is we ought to act like we're not suffering. Verse 17 says trouble or affliction. In the, verse 17, he's saying that I'm going through trouble and affliction. All right, so he's not saying we ought to act like we're not suffering. You know, we're not supposed to be like Christians just floating through life, you know, levitating with a smile on our face all the time, like we got it all together. I mean, I, if God brings you to that point, that's awesome. But for, other, for the world to see us suffer a little bit uh, is going to make them realize that we're a little bit like them. But this, uh, and he's not saying that suffering is, not, is necessarily good. Oftentimes we get prideful and we don't want people to know we struggle. This is especially true for men. Uh, that's something, or we think that struggling is a form of weakness. Being honest with people about our struggle is a form of weakness. Um, but sometimes that's not what's going to reach a suffering world. And so I want to encourage you guys, be honest with your, about your struggles with people. Let them know you, you struggle at the same time. Also find joy like Paul. Paul's saying, I'm struggling, but he's finding joy in the midst of his struggle, knowing that God will get him through. He's also not saying that God did this to him. And that's important. That's a whole other sermon. In fact, I think I spoke a little bit about it during our Goliath Come Out play, that God isn't the one who caused this to happen. We want to blame God a lot of times, but we live in a broken world, and people make mistakes, and things happen. And God doesn't cause this to happen. So there's a distinction here uh, uh, that we, we need to make. One, we suffer when bad things happen to us, and it can be used to advance the gospel. And the other thing is we can suffer because of our faith in Christ, and it advances the gospel. The difference is here. One, we go through bad things. There are people in other countries who are being persecuted for their faith. Okay? There's a, there's a good chance that uh, what we see in this passage is Paul was thrown in prison probably for sharing his faith. Okay, and so I think there's two things we can take away. One, we're gonna we suffer, and God can get us through, and we will find joy. He's gonna use that, but also there are gonna be times that we could be persecuted for our faith. Let's just be honest; we don't get persecuted here. We don't. We don't. We don't have people coming in with machetes and chopping us down in the middle of a church service like they are in the Congo. We're not having people show up at our house and split our families up and drag us out and beat us and throw us in prison like they are in China. You understand that we don't. We don't get. That last time I got persecuted for my faith, I probably got laughed at by an angry atheist at my job. Oh, that's not even that bad. 
You know, I was a part of a ministry in college where, where we uh, prayed for men to try to deter men from going into strip clubs. So we walked around out in the street, out in front of strip clubs, and I had a manager of a strip club spit in my face one time. <laughs> you know, and compared to what's happening around the world, it's nothing. We're, we're, not, getting, we're not getting persecuted. You know, it, it's just, it, there's not a whole lot. In fact, the commentary that I was reading said this. I thought this was interesting we are not likely to find the greatest advances of the gospel within the circles of prestige, power, and wealth so pervasive in the West. We should expect instead that the gospel will make the greatest strides in places where no doubt exists that God is the agent of work. That's part of the reason the gospel is spreading so fast all around the world in other countries where people are being persecuted. But there's something that happens when people are persecuted. As a result, he says, Paul says this, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's saying that because of his persecution, people are beginning to have courage and confidence. And that's what we see. The gospel is spreading faster in China and Africa and Cuba under Castro's tyranny. Christians went from 6,000 to 50,000 in Cuba. Shout out to Natalie. Uh, listen, that's what's happening in the world. Do you understand that? I mean, we got a lot of Christians in DFW, and I thank God for that. And I, I believe the church in, in America is growing. I think it's going to grow more and more as we begin to face persecution. And I'm telling you, People become courageous and confident and fearless when, uh, when they see that people have the courage to face persecution. The college ministry I was a part of, I had a guy, get, a friend of mine get punched in the face by a drunk guy. I had a professor get kicked. There's like death threats, all this kind of stuff. That college ministry blew up. Everybody was like, wait, what, what's going on? Okay. And they went down there and we just started praying for people. We weren't picketing. We were dressed down and we were just, hey, I'd, I'd always say, hey, man, you want to, can I give you something? And they're like, what? You know, we're on the street Thursday night. It's like 10 o'clock. So they think I'm probably going to give them drugs or something. I hand them a track and just say, hey, man, my friends are here. We're praying. Can we pray for you? And they'd be like, I mean, they were, it was like a shocker. They're like, what? <laughs> but anyway, that, that college ministry grew. It was awesome. No matter if you're suffering through circumstance or you are being persecuted for your faith, find joy like Paul that the gospel will be advanced and others will find courage and confidence when they see and hear your story. Your story. Our heart is to see the gospel advanced. Our heart is to see our community know who Jesus is. And let's just keep moving on. Uh, the next passage in this portion of uh, the sermon is what I call, Here Come the Haters. All right, everybody met a hater before? Yeah, haters. Haters typically show up when good things happen. Haters show up when bad things happen. They want to kick you when you're down. All right, so check this out. If it is true that some preach, verse 15, Christ out of envy and rivalry, but the others out of goodwill, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul remained joyful even when the haters showed up. Notice something in the text. Here's something extremely important. This is unique, all right? Uh, Paul says this, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some preach Christ. We're not talking about non-Christians. We're talking about Christians. 
We're talking about people who are preaching Christ. This is very important, okay? I, I, I pulled this from a, a quote out of a commentary. The fellowship of the modern church lies in tatters because of rivalry over turf, competition for money and influence, and petty theological differences. I can't tell you how many times in planting this church, we've wanted to partner with local churches in our community to try to impact our community, and we felt resistance. And that's not a diss against our, the local churches, but I'm gonna, I, I want you to know that a lot of times, and it happens in DFW because this is like Disney World of churches, uh, listen, there is a lot of territorial things that happen, and because of that, there's a lot of just bad talking. People talk bad about other denominations, uh, theological issues, they talk trash about people, and, and I want you to know this is a church where we don't, we don't believe in that. We don't do that. We believe that if our churches in DFW came together for the cause of Christ, man, we could, we could change Texas. We could change it, and people will come to know Jesus, and that's our heart. That's our heart. And so what we find here in this passage are uh, intentions, and I can imagine some of Paul's rivals. Think about why they were bad-mouthing Paul. Let's think about it for a minute. Maybe he said that, maybe they were saying something like this, and I'm, this is completely, this is a Joel-ism, all right? This is not found in Scripture, all right? So please make that in, in your notes. Uh, I, he probably said this. They're saying Paul uh, maybe said something like, Paul didn't have enough faith. Therefore, he was thrown into prison. He was judged because he didn't have enough faith. We hear that in the church, don't we? Some people say he gets sick. No, they didn't have enough faith. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, Okay? Maybe, maybe their intentions for bad-mouthing Paul was because they wanted to get his followers. You understand, Paul was a stud. Uh, he showed up on the scene, and people were following him because of his influence and his love for Jesus, and he had a lot of people who were listening to him. And maybe the churches or the people around there who preached Christ were envious of that. He, says, he uses the term rivalry here. Maybe they were jealous, and they said, we're going to use this opportunity to maybe gain some of his followers. But I, I don't know. I, again, this is me making this up. Um, but I'm just trying to think through, like, why would, they be, why would they be talking bad about Paul while he's in prison? Whatever the motive, unfortunately, we know that, for, uh, that they were Christ followers. And safe to say that Paul didn't go into detail about them because Paul's focus was encouraging the church at Philippi. We, we don't have a lot of details. But the next thing he says is very important, and I want you to hear this too. And I know I'm running out of time, but I want to make sure that uh, you get this. I say I'm running out of time. We can do what we want. But at the same time, uh, I want to honor the movie theater because I don't want, uh, yeah, um, finding Dory to come up here. He says in 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. All right. I know what this sounds like. Um, it sounds like he's saying it doesn't matter what your motives are and your intentions. That's not necessarily what he means because we know that in the other letters that he writes, they're all about motives and intentions. They're all about this. Uh, kind of my takeaway is this. There's not much Paul can do to the haters. They, he can't really communicate with them. He's just saying, look, there's nothing I can do. You know, at least Christ is being preached. Okay? I hope that you, take, you hear the, the distinction there because I don't want anyone to think that it's just okay for someone with negative intentions or, or a, a bad spirit about them to get up and preach Christ and that's okay. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but what I do think here is Paul's focus here remains on God's ability to make people with perverse motives serve his ends. So Paul's taking, uh, God's taking 
these guys who have impure motives and he's using these, this negative situation to serve his ends. So I just want to make that clear. And so to kind of wrap this up, the, two, the couple of things that we talked about, one, we walked through the three phases of suffering. We talked about how we recognize our suffering. How two, uh, we realize our suffering is something God is going to use to shape us. And three, the suffering that we're going through uh, is an opportunity for us to advance the gospel and love somebody and help somebody. Okay? And we're going to have a prayer time here in a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And we're going to have a prayer time. And I really, really want us to seek God uh, this morning before we leave. Because I don't want to miss this opportunity because I know that I know that people in here are suffering. This has been the past the hardest two months for me in a while. So for me to stand up here and say that I haven't been suffering is a joke. I want you to know we're, there's people in here that are suffering and we're going through stuff that's very difficult. And we probably got into the phase where we realize that we're suffering. And I want us to have a time of prayer this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to kind of, uh, why don't you stand up? You guys stand up this morning. And I want everybody to kind of bow your head, close your eyes. And have, we've got a couple of people in here that, that want to pray for you this morning. We've got Elise over here on the left, and I've got John and Christian over here on the right. And so I'm going to do something a little different this morning with no one looking around. Because I don't want that to be a hindrance. I don't want that to keep you from going and praying with somebody. This morning, maybe this is you. I'm suffering. And I'm having a hard time seeing this as something God wants to use to refine me. I'm confused, and I don't know why this is happening. If you're that person, you would say, man, I'm confused. I'm struggling. I am, this is very difficult. One of the hardest things I've faced. I don't understand what's going on. I want to challenge you to pray for joy. And if that's you this morning, and you'd say, I'm suffering. I just need somebody to pray with me. I've kind of hit rock bottom. I don't know what to do. I need God to help me. I want to encourage you to slip out of your seat and find somebody over on the right or the left to pray with you. Don't be afraid. This is a place of love and compassion. We want to help you. No one's going to judge you. You can go ahead and find somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're this person. Maybe you understand that you're suffering understand that Jesus wants to refine you, refine you. And you want to use this as an opportunity to advance the gospel. You want to use this as an opportunity to help somebody, but you don't know what that looks like. Or maybe you don't have the courage. I want you to pray for courage this morning. You got to understand some ministries, some big ministries are born out of suffering. People realize in their suffering that they want to help people. Our nurture ministry here at church was birthed out of suffering. I want you to know this morning to have courage. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to kind of slip out of your seat and grab somebody on the right or the left to pray with you and help you make sense of why you're suffering and how God wants to use you to help somebody. Maybe this is you. 
Maybe you're experiencing ridicule at work or you're being persecuted and you're struggling and you're suffering because people around you and the enemy is persecuting you and hurting you and you're having difficulty processing that. I want to challenge you this morning to pray a prayer that's difficult. Pray for your enemies, the scripture says. So this morning, maybe you're being persecuted. Listen, nobody's looking around in here. All of our heads are bowed. No one's going to judge you. If you're being persecuted this morning, you need prayer. You just need somebody to pray with you and help you. Maybe a shoulder to cry on. I want to encourage you to step out of your seat and grab somebody in the wings and pray with you. guys are praying this morning, whether for courage or joy like Paul had in the midst of his suffering, or you're praying for your enemies, I'm going to pray for us this morning. That God will just help us be a church who loves people. When we go through suffering, we grow. Lord, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that when the enemy continues to push, God, you can take our suffering and you can use it and make it something beautiful. God, I want to pray for every person in this room who's going through something and struggling through something in life. God, I pray that you help them know that you're really close to them, that you're not some far off God, but you walk with them through that suffering. Give them eyes to see. God, I pray you awaken just visions of ministry opportunities and people that they can share about what's going on in them and they can help. I pray that this week be a week full of stories of how the people in our church have been able to help a hurting world because of the suffering that they've been through. I pray you give us courage to be vocal about what you're doing in our lives. Sometimes it's hard for us to open our mouth. God, give us courage. God, and we just pray for our enemies. We pray for those in our community who may be struggling by slandering churches or Christians who may be tearing down other Christians. God, we pray for them. Pray that you just break through their hardened heart. You show them your love. This morning, make us a people, God, who love you wholeheartedly. We're passionate. No matter what we go through, we can find joy because we know you're going to work it out for good. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.